One in three people will have some type of cancer in their lifetime, and one in 12 women will have invasive breast cancer. Our guest on today's show is Tara Galliano, who helps women reimagine their bodies after cancer and rekindle their sexuality. I think that's something that not only fellow cancer survivors, but a lot of other people throughout different life stages can still learn a lot from. Tara believes in the power of life stories, and her goal is to help people create a language for their intimate experiences, finding words to convey vulnerability to their loved ones in order to understand and connect more deeply. Learn more on our website and social media at bbxx.world. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Tara. Yeah, my pleasure. I'd love to start out talking about just the difference between sex and sexuality. For people listening, before we jump into what you do, the work you do, the amazing program at the hospital that you have, working to help people rediscover their bodies after cancer treatments, but what we can learn from that goes for everybody in terms of through all walks of life, rediscovering your body as you age, Mm -hmm. childbirth, any changes, stress, and the mental aspects of it as well. But to get started, I'd love to just have you talk a little bit about the difference between sex and sexuality and everything that exists in between those two. Mm, And everything that exists in between. (laughs) A little bit of everything that exists in between. Well, I like to keep things somewhat simple. So I think of sex as the act. It is just an act, and that's very simple. But when actually somebody's coming in for sex therapy, we have to unpack that as what does that act look like for you, and then also broaden that of there's a menu of options that could be considered sex, and it could include many different behaviors. And so I I think that's really a personal definition, but I'm really trying to be specific to its behavioral. And whereas sexuality is more felt sense of how you are in your body, how you feel about yourself, how confident you are, how you carry yourself. And so I think that is much more this elusive quality because it's something that I think is different for everybody in a different moment and, you know, a different time. I mean, there's some fluidity to that because I I truly believe that we're dynamic beings and that when we are stagnant, it's because we've stopped someplace. And, And I think as humans, we like to stop because we like to conceptualize and categorize things a certain way because it makes things easier. It makes things more digestible. Mm -hmm. So we like to say things like I'm heterosexual or I'm homosexual. And those are categories of understanding. But they're also places of, I would say, stagnancy of like, we are that and we're more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a lot right there. (laughs) That's amazing. I think it's interesting because I know a lot of people would say, oh, you know, at what age did you discover your sexuality or something like that or come into your sexuality? So I'm wondering at what age people generally do. There's a whole span from like when people are really young to older, you know, what the norm would as if there were one. Um, But then also kind of does that ever end? Do we ever discover our, you know, does it? past tense discover our sexuality or is that just a constantly evolving process and journey I, i mean i think it can be and for many people it is and then for some people it's not there's a a blockage maybe or a stopping point i might perceive it as a blockage but maybe there's just a sense of satisfaction of that's what it is for me and it won't proceed any further i am this and i behave this way so talking about how 
that journey continues and evolves, I think we could really tie into the program that you do in the hospital and how kind of those people are discovering, rediscovering perhaps, you know, for the first time, third time, their sexuality, their bodies, how Mm -hmm. the two work together, yeah, what that looks like, what you work on with them and kind of what you've learned and a little bit about their stories. Oh my goodness. I have learned so much. I'm truly honored to work with these women. I feel like always that they're these Amazons rising from the fire. They have gone through so much and their lives have been transformed and they have been transformed. And when they come to my class, I feel like there's um, an urgency and and not necessarily that they know exactly what to do and how to do it but there's such a yearning and a desire to do something about this experience of sexuality that has been dormant for them for so long that I just admire and respect that I know it's not easy I know that there's a lot of struggles one struggle that I see with the women is it's about claiming time for themselves and giving time for themselves and it's just I think in some of their minds, it's one more thing that I have to heal this or I have to fix this or it's some medical treatment that I'm taking and that makes it a little bit more palatable for them. But if they really embrace it as something sensual or pleasurable for themselves, that can be really difficult because it's hard for them to give to themselves in that way and know that maybe the end result, they don't really know what that will look like. Mm -hmm. So it's a journey of discovery and I honor their courage, um, their bravery to go on that path and and to really be in the unknown and to know that they want to reclaim their sex or sexuality for themselves and then kind of see what that looks like for their relationships with other people. And what are some of the more practical tools you give them um, to work on exercises or things to practice within their own lives that perhaps maybe some of our listeners could learn from or, or you know, want to try for themselves to kind of help them along that journey as well. Sure. And so one of the things that I've learned from working with people who've had cancer, and particularly the women in these class, is that there's a lot of cognitive impairments, there's a lot of memory loss, there's a lot of sensory overload issues that they experience. And so in my mind, I try to approach things very gently And one of the first things that we do is we do a body scan. So really coming back into their bodies and they start at the top of their head and really just looking at the tension that they may experience from the top of their head all the way down to their feet and the sense of grounding that the earth is there to hold them because it's this invitation for them to come back into their bodies because oftentimes with cancer or any life-threatening illness, we want to disassociate with our bodies because we feel like we've been betrayed by them. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that betrayal is real and it causes a lot of anger and a lot of discomfort. And so I think this gentle approach of coming back into the body is important. And so I ask women to do it regularly, consistently, frequently, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe before they go to bed or maybe when they wake up in the morning. And then another thing that I like for women to do is a, a body map. And that is a fairly, I would say, common exercise. I know a lot of art therapists use it, but it's an opportunity for somebody to draw an outline of your body and then for the women to fill it in and say, these areas of my body are okay to be touched and I find pleasure in those areas. And these areas are off limits. I had a mastectomy there. I'm numb there. I don't know how I feel about being touched there. Don't touch me there. I'm not ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. Or yellow, kind of like, okay. And that's the way I approach it because I'm not artist. And so I just read, you know, green, yellow, and, and that's it. But what I've seen with the women in the class is that they take this very seriously and they do these beautiful pastels or they do these decoupage masterpieces where they're taking all these 
beautiful images from magazines of nature and flowers and they're creating this shrine of of their body and how they imagine it is and how it could be and and what i like about the body map it's this, this externalized image that they have to engage with so it gets them out of their head a little bit about imagining what they look like but really having a felt sense of or or an external image of who they look like or what they look like, Mm -hmm. which is different from, I think, their perceptions. And oftentimes they say silly things like, oh, I'm skinnier than I thought. But (laughs) but for them, it's kind of real, like, oh, my goodness, I'm seeing myself differently. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said is really interesting. It's about kind of that reconnection with yourself, with your body and perception of it. And especially after some sort of betrayal, which I think a lot of people at some points, whether it's not being able to lose the weight you want or an mm-hmm. injury mm-hmm. or other health issues I've been yes. dealing with, um, two kind of chronic health issues for the last few years. And I remember reading an article about kind of betrayal of mm-hmm. your body and how to cope with that. And one of the suggestions that the woman gave was kind of being in touch, but not in the literal sense. But, like, checking in with your body, seeing how it's doing, how are you doing, thanking your body Mm -hmm. when it's doing well or taking care of it and acknowledging, you know, you're you're making the effort to take care of it when it's not doing well. And I also kind of resonated with it a bit because there's nothing else really you can do. Yeah. Um, A lot of these conditions, you know, but kind of changing the psychology surrounding it, Mm -hmm. um, changing the way it's like when people tell you, if you smile all day, you'll feel happier. Yes. Like what you think, what you do then like reflects how you behave, which fills in the cycle and starts all over again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And one of my favorite yoga teachers, she always (laughs) says at the end of the yoga session and thank your body for everything it has done for you. And I think, oh yeah, I love that because I forget that. Oh, I just want to thank my body for pumping blood, for allowing me to think, for digesting my food, you know, for all of the things that it does that I think, oh, that's important stuff. And I wonder how much could be learned even for people who don't have a certain condition with their body, but just in terms of self-confidence, self-esteem, and vulnerability to incorporate that in a sexual context, Mm -hmm. to then just incorporate that body connection and kind of exuding what you want to absorb back in the the context of being with a partner. or And I truly do believe that it begins with the relationship that you have with yourself. And so when I work in this class, I always bring the women into that relationship with themselves first and then it gets to you know how are you relating to others Um, and one of the other things that I do do is I use trauma releasing exercises which were developed by Dr. David Berselli diagnosis of cancer is a traumatic experience treatment of cancer oftentimes can be a traumatic experience because women feel uh, oftentimes objectified like they are a science experiment that they've been medicalized and nobody's really hearing what they have to say and so that experience creates trauma in the body and i mean i think decades of living in a body we get experiences of overwhelm and our nervous system needs to be released and so i actually teach these exercises to most of my clients and for me it's a very profound impact because 
the trauma releasing exercises is about shaking and it's about the release of the nervous system. So if you were to Google, I see a YouTube video where the, the rabbit has escaped from the fox and then they shake. Or you can see a video of, um, what is it, a polar bear that has been anesthetized for medical research. And the polar bear is completely out of it for the scientists, but it shakes. And so there's a, like a neurochemical cocktail that needs to be discharged from the physiology. And there's this experience of shaking. Or if you've been in an overwhelming experience like a car accident, oftentimes you'll experience shaking. And I think that we often hold it together. You know, we need to be socially appropriate and we don't have that experience of shaking when we experience overwhelm to our nervous system. And that can be discord in the relationship or it can be, you know, financial stress or trouble at work. All of those things can overwhelm our nervous system where we're wearing our shoulders like earrings and we can get a massage and get that worked out. And I love that. And we can do the trauma releasing exercise is because that is something that you can do for yourself. So I teach all the women in my classes, and, and I often offer it for free online just because I feel like it's such a potent tool, and you know people can buy the app from Dr. Briselli. I was in a couple of car accidents and used it, and it helped alleviate my anxiety with driving, and it helped with insomnia, and it gave me the opportunity to then be able to come back into my body and be comfortable, because if we're not comfortable in our bodies, we're never going to have mind-blowing sex, right? We're mm-hmm. never going to be relaxed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so I think speaking to that connection with yourself, whether or not it has to do with mind-blowing sex or communication or kind of just happiness, uh, life in general, it's so important. And so I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you not only teach that body connection with these women, but then how they can then create a language of their own for intimate experiences. Yeah. And what I find is that most women have some sense of language for themselves, but oftentimes they haven't vocalized it. So they haven't said it out loud to anyone, not even their partner. I used to work as a, a college counselor and what I found is that young people, you know, in their 1920s, it was so fascinating because they were so interested in doing it. They're so interested in the behavior, but the language was absolutely terrifying. And it creates another level of intimacy to actually talk about what it is that they had done together or wanted to do together or were too drunk to do together or or were drunk and did it together. It's this really fascinating process because it was so painful. And I find that as we get older, if we're not raised in a sex-positive culture atmosphere, oftentimes we don't have that vocabulary or that ability to express ourselves. And really there's constriction, I would say, in the throat chakra, because I'm from Boulder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that that inability to express themselves. But what I find is that women... They totally have the language, but again, it's about identifying that and then articulating that. And in the group setting, again, it's terrifying. I mean, who wants to go to group sex therapy? And yet they do. Mm-hmm. And it's a place to try out these words or try to build a vocabulary. If I can say this to her and she gets what I'm saying, then maybe I can say it to my partner. As we had talked about, that idea of making talking about sex or sexuality more comfortable, making it... Yeah. More of an everyday thing, not every day, but in the tone and kind of breaking down the taboo and the anxiety and the emotional and underlying context around it and kind of making it more objective in its language. But then on the other side of things, as you mentioned, it becomes 
medical. Yeah. So how do <laughs> how do we find that that in between language? Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. I mean, I think it's really about practice, yeah. and I think it changes as we evolve as sexual beings, and also as our relationships evolve, um, as we have different partners, as we have different experiences. Our language grows and deepens. We're able to really come in with more nuanced language that explain the complexity of how we feel love for another person or how we feel pleasure with another person. Mm-hmm. It's not a stagnant process. It is really this dynamic process and that really just takes practice. And I don't think that there's anything um, wrong with not knowing. Yeah. I think that's part of the process is sometimes we just don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure that language is evolving. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned younger women, but I think that also older women as well sometimes struggle with the same thing and I don't doubt that that men too kind of have a need to discover that language so how how would you say maybe it's similar or perhaps different and how people could work on their own to -hmm. try and help them discover their own language whether Mm -hmm. it be you know having to do with sex or intimacy or just expressing the more authentic version of themselves. When I work with women in my practice is that I like for them to do a self-examination of themselves and so they can look at their vulva, they can look at their vagina and really start to figure out what what words feel good to me. Maybe as a young child they were told down there and like what does down there mean and then can you really articulate those parts the the clitoris the labia I mean what does that mean and I think through the process of actually having a visual cue because it is hard to see and I would recommend that women squat and take a mirror and and look at themselves and see what their partners see and then it's easier I think to start to create a vocabulary of, okay, I, I, those are parts of my erogenous zones. Mm-hmm. Those are parts of myself where I experience pleasure. And those are parts that I actually need to talk about specifically. And I think there's a lot of people with comfort and fluency with with that. And, and there's a lot of us who don't have that fluency. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it just takes practice and speaking it with our partners and just yeah, being... Yeah, practicing with a partner. I think yeah. both men and women, again, could yeah. kind of benefit from that In because a lot of times other people kind of know how to put the words into your mouth better than you do. Yes. Uh-huh, yes. Which is interesting as a, as a therapist because I listen to what people are saying. If they say fuck, I say fuck. If they say intercourse, I say intercourse because I want them to get the reflection of their language, but also to let them know we're speaking this common language Mm -hmm. and that I get what they're saying. Uh, And so, yes, I, I think that there is this process where we are mirroring back what other people are saying but then we also have to take responsibility of what does that mean to me Mm -hmm. or do I like that or does how does that feel in my body when I say that and sometimes we forget to absorb kind of the positivity or the the like sometimes our partners are better at seeing the beauty within us than we are so I can see how a partner participating then in that activity could add a lot of value and a nice little reminder to oneself about you know how beautiful or passionate or you know incredible i want to do all these brain adverbs but i'm trying to remember that we're talking about bodies because i'm always (laughs) the person who's like i don't want to be described by how i look um but yeah it's just so true and i always think it's so interesting because we're so much better at seeing you know beauty in other people or sometimes than ourselves so i think that's a, a really important thing that you guys you guys talk about yes 
Um, and that's why I like the the body image or the body map. It's again, it's this externalized image for women to create as they like, as they see themselves, but also as they imagine themselves. And I, I love that is this external reference point because yeah. they can come back to it. I often recommend that they date it. Do they do it on top of a photo or a drawing? No. Oh, I love it. it. Yes. Work? So what I like do if is I want to do a body map. How yeah. do I do it? Yeah, yeah. If you want to do a body <laughs> body map, what I would recommend is that you go to Staples, you get some moving paper, okay. and usually now the moving paper is wide enough where you can fit your oh, and I have someone on it. trace me. Yes, and you and it's a like, very like intimate in experience. Yes. yes. So they trace the whole outline of your body, and then you see this image, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's me. And I would recommend that you do the front first, but you can do the back too, depending upon what is more important for you, and and do both sides, and then take that image, and and the feet are difficult because often when you're lying there, they're up straight, so you got to kind of put them down and make sure you get your toes because that's an important area too, and then fill it in with the, really the love that you feel for yourself of this area is really pleasurable and I want this area to be touched and you can do that so you by take using pens you take markers you I take- use markers and I say green for good red for don't touch me there yellow because I'm not an artist mm-hmm. and very simple and so I just color it in green I might even put text because I'm more of a word person like good <laughs> no yeah. thanks. Right. But women, a lot of the women that I work with are these incredible visual artists, and they create these beautiful images with pastels or watercolors, and, and and they're just amazing. I mean, it just always blows me away. They'll say, oh, my toddler took a nap, and so I had a couple of hours, and then he took the afternoon, and it took the whole afternoon. And, and for myself and some other women in my class, I'd say, well, I, I was in between something at work, and I took about five minutes, and I did, yeah. you know, so I mean, there's a whole range of how women approach it. Right. And they're amazing with what they come up with because, again, then they have this externalized image and they take that. And if they have a partner or if they have somebody that they're intimate with that they want to share this image with, they can start talking about that and start a conversation. That is key, I think, for women developing the language because then they can say, when you touch me here on my shoulders, I really start to relax. And that is so good for me. If you touch me there first, I, I can really get into the relaxation and calmness that I want to have when I'm with you. But if you touch me on my feet, I'm like, get out of here because I don't like feet and I got to... Right. I mean, and they're so like, oh, but I'm giving you an amazing foot massage. And they think that you're loving it and you're yes. sitting there like, oh my goodness, when don't is this going to touch my end? feet. <laughs> right. So I think a lot of people probably get the benefit of kind of recognizing what it is they like or don't like that they probably never even consciously had without literally having it down on paper and then to be able to give that to your partner who obviously can't read your mind and know that you don't like foot massages yes Uh and then they can do it you can draw the outline of of their body and then you can both have shared this intimate experience and really started to create this language that you're able to share together about how to talk about the body how to talk about pleasure how to talk about sex and sexuality I mean, really, all of those things can really begin with that externalized image. I, I think it's a great tool. So the women in the program, what, is there an age range for? Yeah, I've had women from, the, I would say, early 30s up until their late 60s is probably the range that I've seen. Um, I think younger women have more specific issues. I'd say they're more specific around fertility 
and oftentimes dating because they're usually not in a long-term committed relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that's a separate group that I don't usually work with. And so these women that I do work with are often in long-term relationships. Some of them aren't, which I love, because I think that the more variance in relational status, the, the richer the conversation. Because mm-hmm. I think the women who are single always think the grass is always greener for the women who are in relationship. And the women in relationship think, no, you have it so much easier because I get to deal with this person that I've been with for decades. Right. And, and they don't get it. And I want them to get it. And we're stuck in this groove. And we're stuck there together. Um, so I think that it creates a a, a great richness and there's heterosexual women and homosexual women and the age range I think creates some richer conversations as well and that yeah I, I would say that's that's kind of a picture of who the women are yeah I think it's a great concept the grass is always greener on the other side in terms of relationships in general it does yeah. seem to be that way mm-hmm. um, I mean there's definitely something to be learned on all sides of the grass but yes. it's not necessarily greener it's just different it's and oftentimes different. not comparable mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could share one of the stories of the women or perhaps one of the women that you've learned a lot from or any particular anecdote Sure. One or a few. There's one woman in particular, and I'll be speaking about her tomorrow at the conference, and uh, I'll call her Lou. And she is married to Rob, and Rob and her have been married for about 20 years. And when she was in her late 30s, she was diagnosed with anal cancer. And Rob and her had had a couple of kids, and they were probably in their late teenage years. The kids were, and she was working a full-time job. I mean, life was going on for her. She was really in the midst of things. I don't know. Teenagers are tough. And then to be working full time and then um, to be diagnosed with anal cancer. One of the things that she shared, she was really funny. And she said, you know, I I hate to tell people what kind of cancer I have Mm. because they're like, you know, what are you going to get? What am I going to get? A little brown ribbon? She was really (laughs) out there and up front. And she said, I didn't get a pretty pink ribbon. I don't have breast cancer. And so it was some shame around what type of cancer she had. But in the group she shared, and it was amazing that in that particular group she was in, There were three women that had anal cancer, which is so unusual because the nurse navigator who refers the women to my group deals specifically with breast cancer, and I often have an overwhelming number of women who have had breast cancer. But Lou didn't have breast cancer, and she'd gone to the cancer con when she was diagnosed, probably a year and a half after. um, And the cancer con's here in Denver for young people who've had cancer. And... She went to the session where they were talking about sex and sexuality, and she was like, oh, my goodness. And she she's not a tearful woman. She really, she's a funny woman. And she just sat in the corner, and she cried and cried. She said it was like a part of her that hadn't been touched in a year and a half since her final cancer treatment it had been touched, and she didn't even know how to respond. So it was a very cathartic experience. She just sat there and cried. And when she was done, she was really motivated to do something about it. She's like, oh, my goodness, i got to tell my husband what happened. We have to do something about this. Because after six weeks after surgery, they say you're good to go. And she, so they tried to have intercourse. And she says it wasn't successful. I don't really know what that looked like for them. I think that's kind of like childbirth when they're like, yeah, six, six weeks. weeks. And it's like, well, 
in case you didn't know, not all childbirths are the same remotely. I mean, Nor any recovery from, you know, surgery or intense experience or um, injury or whatever. Uh, So it's just so interesting that there's that rule of thumb that people honestly, believe that they're supposed to adhere to and they're like oh but i if i can't make that six-week period or something something wrong with me right where it's like no there's something wrong with the fact that they don't even give you a range Uh, truly yes it's so generic and so she after the six weeks had tried to have intercourse with her husband and again she says it wasn't successful so this experience at cancer con a year and a half later was like oh my goodness we've not had sex we haven't even been intimate with each other we've not even given each other pleasure in any way they love each other and we're living together as roommates and not attempting anything sexual because they were so afraid. And he, bless his heart, was what I would say stuck in this caregiver dynamic. He's really trying to be very respectful and giving her her space. So there was this whole ocean between them, and it was very isolating, and it was very difficult for them to make them that contact. And it was frustrating for both of them because they both didn't know how to proceed so after cancer con she's like okay i'm ready i'm ready but she again she didn't know how to proceed sex therapy wasn't even in on their radar they're like you're a couple you can go to couples therapy or relational counseling but sex therapy what's what's that um and when they looked through their packets of information from the doctors who were overseeing their treatment there really wasn't anything on Mm. sex and they were like, oh my goodness. So in that point, I would say Luann was stuck in this gestational period. Like she was, there was a pregnant pause. Like she was waiting because she knew there was something more, but she didn't know what it was. And then Rob, a year and a half after that, so it was like three years after her treatment had ended, a year and a half after the cancer con, Rob saw this flyer for rediscovering my body. And he said, very sweetly, will will you take this class? He said, it's for women. I can't take it, but I would really love if you could take this class. And she said, oh, my goodness, yes, of course. And so she went through the class, and she did all of the exercises, the body scan, the guided imagery, the trauma-releasing exercises, and everything else that we do in the class. And she was such a great support for the other women in the class, she always showed up. She was so vibrant and really trying to figure things out. And at the end of the four weeks, that's it. I don't hear anything from anybody. Everybody says goodbye. We go to an adult toy store. We look at lube and toys and dildos and trying to you know, spark people's creative imagination of what could be next. And, and that's it. And then... Six weeks later, she sends me an email, and she said that they went to Estes Park. And her and her husband had some kinky, erotic time together. And she said, can't really say that we had intercourse, but we had so much fun. And I think that was really the important piece, that Mm -hmm. the fear had dissipated and that they were able to connect in a very loving, fun way. And they'd spent the whole weekend at this romantic getaway, and it was really romantic. And I think that, for me, oh goodness, was so fulfilling because I, I, I got that something changed for her very dramatically in her life and in her physiology and also in her relationship with her husband, who she really adored. And that now I can see their relationship will be on a much different level, a much better 
better level for both of them, much more satisfying, much more healthy, much more communicative, and that the fear had been lifted about how are we going to talk about sex? How are we going to do sex? How are we going to, but this playfulness of let, let's be curious, let's be creative, let's just be imaginative and try to create this erotic space together. And I was so glad that she sent that email because most people don't. I don't know where they're at after the class. I think that's kind of the plight of a therapist. People leave therapy and you think they're okay, but you don't necessarily hear back from them. But when you get an email back and you hear that people are doing great, it's wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that just goes back, like you mentioned, to to the fun in the process, Mm -hmm. not necessarily any objective goal. Yes. But the experience of it. Yes. And I think that, again, a lot of us can learn from not have having gone through such hard experience such as they have overcoming cancer um, and going through the treatment and and the the physical experience of what that does to your body but in the rediscovery I think a lot can be learned and people need to remember that it's okay to have you know maybe at some point need to reconnect rediscover your body or Mm -hmm. your intimacy or your relationship and it might not even be once yeah you know i feel like these days it it seems like we live about five lifetimes (laughs) in our one lifetime so it would make sense that there will be about five different times in our life where we might need to kind of reevaluate where we are how we think how we feel yes how we behave as a result yes so i think that's really beautiful and there's a lot to be learned for it thank you so much for joining us today tara it's been my pleasure thank you sasha wonderful having you here thank you thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the bbxx podcast you can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world and if you believe in what we're doing please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about until next time Thank you.